Hey everyone, how's it going? I hope you're all keeping good and well. So yeah, this time last year, Create Me Podcast partnered up with City Moves as a part of the Dance Live Festival. And this year, we're fortunate enough to be doing it again. So I'm really excited to kind of, you know, drop a couple of episodes for you guys, you know, to check out and listen to. And today, my guest is Fleur Darkin. She is a world-leading choreographer, dancer and director, and formerly artistic director of the Scottish Dance Theatre, whose company has kind of toured extensively across Scotland and the UK. Um, yeah, it's a really cool chat and, you know, just to have that kind of time and space to speak with Fleur about, you know, what her interests are in terms of actually choreography and dance and the experiences that that's given her and allowed her over the years, you know, is really, really like, interesting. And, you know, we also touched on, you know, Fleur's performance for this year's Dance Life Festival, which is called My Friends Take Care of Me. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. And as usual, I'll catch up with you at the end. All right, see you soon, guys. So Fleur, welcome to the Create Me podcast. And thank you for agreeing to come on and be a part of like the Dance Life Festival um, episodes this year. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. A bit nervous, but uh, <laughs> but excited. Yeah, good. Thanks. No, no. Thank you so much for like you know coming on, and definitely looking forward to actually you know, having this conversation with yourself. So, kind of like you know, um, how's your like 2021 been so far? Um. Yeah, it's been, I had to kind of, in 2020, like everybody, I had to kind of dig quite big, big space to find a new way to work. And um, 2021, I think I'm starting to, it's like, you know, I've I've moved the soil around and I've planted some seeds this year. But <laughs> So uh, it's going well. Yeah, I, I was traveling and working in the summer. So that was great. I was working in Berlin and Berlin was really, it was everybody was masked up, but it was definitely alive and it felt quite regular in a way. And I managed to do some shows that, you know, were full of audience. So that was a miracle. Um uh yeah so it's been good but yeah I mean like everybody I've definitely had to work out how to be in this era yeah um what it takes because it takes something different than the other than the time before I think yeah I think definitely like with like a whole last year 2020 has kind of thrown up a lot of uncertainties across many kind of like creative kind of industries so I'm kind of like interested like how did the pandemic impact on your particular practice last year well I a lot of my work was just you know jettisoned out cancelled from other places obviously um so that was that was a big period of having to sit and wait um and of course stuff arises doesn't it in the quiet so I definitely was having to kind of make a really firm get into a really firm practice I got into a, I had to be really rigorous to do a daily practice that was physical and a daily kind of philosophical or writing practice if you like and then you know I, I, I in one blessing of the whole thing has been I've had to really look at my own self-talk and um yeah how, how I can go into problematizing or catastrophizing things <clears throat> when I'm not on the road I was so used to being on the road um so I've had to learn how to be much more local and I've got to know the area I live in much better. Um, and yeah, just, just handle the quiet. So it's been really great. I really, I've really had to rely on all the things I 
had to develop as I was training to be an artist, they've, they've come back to the fore, like the importance of a daily practice that's embodied, you know, because I was used to always being in public and when all that's gone, what, what are you and what do you care about? Well, I still need to have a physical practice on my own or, uh, you know, be creative, uh, whether it's paying or not, you know, those, <laughs> those kind of massive existential questions. Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely like last year kind of threw up a lot of kind of actually like self-reflection and, and lots of kind of things that we've kind of been doing last year. It's, it's, it's kind of really good to actually have a pause a bit as well. Yeah. I think like previous years, I think everyone's constantly just on the go, yeah. you know, all the time, you know, yeah. it's just from one job um, to the next. But I'm interested as well, like where did this kind of passion come from in terms of actually choreography and dance for yourself? Where did that kind of develop from? Um, I, I just was always restless and moving and couldn't really sit still and was really inspired by music, particularly when I was younger. Um, so I always, I always moved around and, uh, you know, made shapes and tried to learn moves and stuff. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, the thing is, it comes from quite, it comes from a really young place, sort of like seven, eight years old. And it's interesting now because my life's really changed. I've got three children now and I'm living in Fife, uh, sort of in the middle of the country. So I've had to not, there was the pandemic, which was a reset, but I've also personally had to really look at the impossibility of my job while I'm in a family at this point, which has been again, frustrating. And and I've had to go quite deep to work out how am I going to have a practice where I can pick them up from school every day and, you know, um, make it work in those short hours. But it, my practice is, happens really has always really happened in capital cities and places where there are big theater spaces. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I've just had to really, um, be bespoke to what this is now. And, so with the project I'm doing with Aberdeen, I'm working with a theatre company in Buenos Aires. And, you know, in, in other times we would have got together and made the show. And what's going to happen for this, this festival is they're, they're going to do the piece we're making in a theatre in Buenos Aires and we're going to open it up, stream it. Um, so, yeah, I've had to change everything. I mean, I've, had, I've had to learn how to choreograph sitting down, watching Zoom, which is a challenge. But, you know... Uh, other things are coming up. So that's exciting. It's exciting to not be touring and destroying the planet and that we can actually have a live premiere from Argentina um, through this process. Yeah. That sounds very kind of like interesting. So I'm guessing like, you know, for yourself, like each week is probably looking very differently and I'm kind of keen to kind of like find out like what does a typical kind of week look like for yourself at the moment? Uh, Well, yeah, on a, on on good days, which is normally the weekdays, I get up and uh, do my practice before anybody else is up in the house. And then there's the uh, school school getting everyone out. And then there's like kind of writing or creative practice. And then you know normal life, cooking. <laughs> um, I mean, I have to say, one of my missions was to work out how to be in my place of living and work. And I have to say, I've found that I do it the best I can, but I've, I've had to be in Aberdeen. For me, it's great to go somewhere for a couple of weeks, like Aberdeen, or I'm going to Paris next week to, to see some shows and have some meetings. But really, 
yeah, I just need space and time. I need like, a, you know, the um, Virginia, Virginia Woolf, a, wo- a room of one, a womb of one's own, a room of one's own, you know, like I need the silence. I need the hours. I've had to check into an Airbnb a couple of times just in my family life, just to get away for 48 hours to write something. So I, I've been really trying to invent a genre that I can do in within family life. Um, and it is definitely integrating much better, but for me, I absolutely need space and time and silence. <laughs> I, I cannot square that with the sort of yeah. rhythm of, of family. Um, so that's, yeah, it's something I'm learning to do more. Yeah, no, I've definitely learned my lesson trying to do a podcast from home. You've got a two and a half year old who wants to play kitch, like kitchen or shop with daddy. <laughs> you know, like, like oh, okay, not just now. I'm just going to go into a conversation, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so like, have your kids kind of taken an interest in, like, you know, and what, the, first of all, what is the age of your children? Have they, and have they taken an interest in actually what mum does? Yeah, they're, thir- they're 13, uh, 12, and nine. And yeah, when they, when they can, they've, they've been on tour with me that's been the way it's worked amazingly for my practice. I have to say, you know, I'm sure they've had boring times in hotel rooms or theaters or whatever. Um, yeah, I think they really, I think they understand the community. The thing about the performing arts or theater or dance, or whatever is the community of it is just, I think that's what I really understood when the pandemic happened. It was like, Oh my God, the blessing we've had to have been in these rehearsal rooms and these companies and been become each other's families in like three weeks, you know, like, or, or two months, really short periods. So I think my children like that feeling and know that feeling and have been taken care of by bigger companies, not just me, you know? Um, yeah, they're, they're good. I mean, for them, you know their their interest is tiktok and you know all the kind of digital uh screen-based kind of content and i think that's you know they're now kind of uh leading me on that because i, yeah. I love it too i completely get why they like it and uh i'm interested to go into that stuff because yeah well, well there's 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 no choice in a way and it's great to keep going forward and work out a new model um so like in the show, you know, we've got some live things happening and then we've got some, some of the performers are stepping into a film scene from a different film uh, that, you know, that a famous, famous films kind of thing. So yeah, it's really fun that it, it, I've, I've just realized, oh my God, I can sample the whole world through film and TV now. Like that, that's what this tech tech is doing. Yeah. Uh, and film and film has always been a major influence. So so yeah, that's really exciting. And I'm trying to set up an editing studio so that me and them can do it together. That's my hope. <laughs> oh, cool. That sounds really interesting. And like, you know, for yourself, like, you know, you know, obviously, you know, you've got a wealth of experience and, you know, you've been around the world. Like, so like, can you describe how you go about developing a particular like dance or routine? Yeah, I guess um, I do. I do wait for inspiration to strike. Um <laughs> And then, and then that takes a while, that process of working out, because when something's interesting, it's like, I can, I you go into a research mode and then it just grows and grows. So you're dealing with a whole encyclopedia of like a country or a place or a people or whatever. So to me, the inspiration is then about really trying to get that smaller and smaller and specific. And it only really comes alive and gets activated in dialogue of others. So for me, I'm always interested in 
the idea is kind of inspiration is like the, the lucky thing that happens. And then I get interested in trying to work out, is there a social need that kind of is echoing this? Um, so this piece I'm working on with the, with in Aberdeen and with the Argentinians is I was looking at gender. So I've become really interested in working with, um, you know, uh, different ages and their experiences of gender in public spaces. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think once the social need or the need that I perceive, you know, I can grow that, then I can start to talk to people and try and find the right partners and work out how can this be beyond the studio. And I think that's where the developing works because if you've got partners who, um, get it then actually they're going to take you on a better journey they're going to the need that they give you or that or the desire they express suddenly suddenly makes mine specific so I do think I'm quite responsive even though I'm good at initiating and trying to manifest it with people um I think it's about being responsive because like non-fiction out there is so much more interesting than the idea that you start with you know how how life is it's just crazy and peculiar and people are amazingly fascinating. So yeah, I think it's connecting with people and then, and then sort of being quite dogged to try and stay because obviously it's easy to kind of, people might want you to make it more practical or more obvious or fit a normal format. And I think the sort of doggedness is where you, you have a vision, even if it's really blurry, but you're not going to compromise on that. And you need, you know, it's like, it's growing in front of you. So you're being led by the idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that, that long answer sort of describes the craziness because it's like a labyrinth, really, trying to make a project. You know, you go around, there's only one yeah. way in, there's only one way out. You go through like moments of hell and regret. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I need to retrain. <laughs> I, I need to retrain is now a part on my a part of my labyrinth. And then, yeah. um, but, but, but anyway, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, I kind of feel like, you know, with kind of a creative kind of process, like the ideas you have was kind of transitions and changes like over time. It's like a natural transition sometimes or like, like you said, like, you know, when you're kind of connected with other people, you find there's like the different ideas help this idea like develop through and something that you didn't even perceive or see you know, what it could be. Yeah. So no, no, it's no, no, definitely like, you know, uh, you know, a great, great answer um, to, you know, to that question. And for yourself, like, being a choreographer over the years, what are some of the challenges you've faced in your role as a choreographer? Well, I think um, it's probably similar to lots of jobs in that you, you're really, you're dealing with trust. And I didn't know that for a long time. For a long time, I thought I was dealing with shapes. And I think I was quite probably quite hard to work with because I was, you know, I had this vision and I was just trying to make everybody conform to something in my head. And I think as I've gotten into it more and more, I realized the magic is in the trust between the people working together. And I think the job is to really try and my job is to really try and set the conditions right so that people can um, open up and follow their own agenda. And a lot of people don't think they have an, don't want an agenda. They, they kind of want the choreographer to give them the entire texture and outfit and sort of identity. And I guess I'm, I'm interested in, um, 
knowing, yeah, knowing who you are, what you care about, what frightens you. You know, I, I'll share mine and I want to hear that from others because I think that's when the work gets quite special. It's like, it's like the trust you build up with people is really an iceberg. And then what you show on stage is the top of it. But anything magical that you see, I, 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 my, in my experience, there's been so much concentration and connection to get there. It's not the thing you're watching, you know, it's the, yeah. it's the things that have, it's the feelings and the sort of time that you haven't seen that, that kind of make the things special when they work. So, yeah, I, Interestingly, when I was in Berlin this summer, I was working with a lot of younger dancers who just graduated. So this probably average age was like early to mid twenties, and there was definitely much more mental health um, challenge and awarenesses going on in that studio than I'd ever experienced before. And you know, they'd all been in their room f- rooms for a year, like yeah. needing to get out. So I've that's another challenge I guess for me is working out what my boundaries are with people because I've I've done things I did things in Berlin where the responses I was getting were quite were quite strong and uh people were sort of disclosing things I hadn't realized that they were going to go to those places so I've I'm still working out okay so now I'm talk about consent when I start workshops and I'm asking people what physically can no one do to you? What do you want done to you? You know, I just, all this kind of stuff that I never used to have. It just used to be a kind of, we're going to roll and see where we go. Um, so I think that that, that's a really healthy challenge to my practice. And it's great for me to keep growing that way. Um, because I, one, I have been in the position of not realizing the power I have because I'm running the room. I just think we're all peers, which we are. But of course, that's not power. That's not how power works. If you're the one who's sort of ostensibly got it, you don't know you've got it. So it becomes even more important that you recognize this isn't uh, equal. So how can we make it equal? Because people can give me their permission. Uh, So it's not, you know, this hierarchy. Yeah, you know, it's very kind of interesting, I guess, like, like, you know, you mentioned there at the start, you know, saying like that thing and the importance of like, can you trust and it's kind of obviously really important that someone can actually open up and say, these are the things that, you know, are playing in my mind. You know, a part of this yeah. is a kind of vulnerable kind of process as well. I think, yeah. you know, in terms of actually what you're doing, so it's kind of important that you recognize that. And also like the, the, the point of actually kind of power, where does that lie? Where does that exist? And, you know, you as the person that's kind of facilitating this you're like with the view that oh no we all have this but some people in different vulnerable positions might not feel perceived they're in the positions of power so it's yeah. kind of, I think that's really kind of important you know to kind of reflect on I guess that kind of also touches on you know the work that you're doing this year for the Dance Life Festival and would you be able to go into that a little bit more like um, about this about this work? Uh, yeah so I'm working on this piece um called my friends take care of me and yeah for the last year and a half I've been sat with the fact that um I'm a middle-aged woman and I've been doing this stuff for a while and I had never ever handled my gender um in anything I did and more than that I think I had tried to bury all the all the all the peculiarities of of gender or my experience of gender 
I try to bury them under the floor and just be a neutral choreographer, do my best impression of the choreographers who I have admired, who, you know, interestingly have all been male. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them. Um, so I felt, I was feeling really like, who am I? Like, what, what am I? I'm so generic. Um, so I've, I've had this sort of desire to, to understand gender at a different level. And it's been a real, um, you know, a process without a map. And I've sort of found these, this, these five Argentinian women who identify as women who are in um, the, a theatre company called Karina Wilson. They all identify as Karina Wilson. They're all one person kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> and I've been working with them. And we've started to look at the kind of, there were lots of things that happened during the process. So there were, there were young women murdered, one in London, you know, well, there's been many, but that in the, in the media frenzy, there have been ones that have been put up as more, not more important, but as attention grabbing. So there's been a lot of gender violence going on. And we were thinking about that, not knowing how to respond I don't want to make work that is kind of waving a placard about what's right and what's wrong. Uh, equally, I don't want to be making a work that's just kind of decorating things. So I've been trying to work out a way to talk about some of the things that have been raised by this subject. Yeah, and so we're, we're, we're making a piece where they're in the theatre and we are playing with a few ideas. It's quite a strong story there, quite a strong private story from my uh, kind of teenage life that's come into the show um, and which touches on consent. Yeah, and I guess for me, I didn't want to... Um, I didn't want to be explaining something to people I perceive as different. So... I was really inspired at the beginning of lockdown. I read all of Toni Morrison's novels and I've been trying to read Beloved for about 20 years. And it was finally during lockdown. Same with Beckett. I, I was able to suddenly read these books like Beckett, his whole oeuvre of word, work made sense because it's kind of like post-apocalypse, some of it. But yeah, Toni Morrison, I read all of her stuff. And even now to me, when I walk around my landscape, I connect it to passages I read at the time. I was listening to podcasts. I was listening to every interview she did. And she said this really amazing, she said loads of amazing things, but she talked about um, the book called The Invisible Man. I think it's by Frederick Douglass, which is a story okay. written about um, slavery from the point of view of, and I, might, I think it's Frederick Douglass, but I might have got him conflated. But anyway, The Invisible Man, we can fact check it after, um, is a story about a slave and he is describing, he's an ex-slave and he's describing how his experience was. And Toni Morrison makes this point that he's describing it for a white audience because she knows it's not directed at her. He's describing things that would never need describing, but because he's trying to kind of appeal to the person behind her as a reader, it's kind of explaining everything. And she says... Invisible to who? You're not invisible to me. Stop trying to talk to people outside the experience and be in the experience with me. And, and of course, that's what her books do. She's not justifying why she's putting characters in there to people who wouldn't understand. It's for, it's, it's for people who know. If you know, you know, kind of thing. So that was a major help for me because, of course, you can always describe gender 
in opposition to what it's not. So it becomes very easy for people who want to talk about gender to talk about the opposite gender's definition of their gender or whatever, and we go around in this binary. So for me, I felt like one of the things I've been really lucky to experience in having this body and this gender has been my connection to other uh, friends, other women or female identifying uh, friends. And, it's, you know, it's not, it's not only female, but really that's the kind of thing we have shared, especially at that age that we're looking at, which is like 16, 17. So I wanted to speak of that. I wanted to create work that has that connection where you are in your own sort of um, group and there's a world going on around you, but you share the same perspective and you have each other. And again, you have trust and you have each other's uh, protection in, in your very being. You don't even plan it that way, but you, you just, you're reliable and you, you rely on them. So, yeah. so it's, yeah. So it's become about that. It's become about kind of sororities of how people hang out with each other and look after each other. And it actually came from a slogan, which was, in South America, when because uh, there's you know this real gender violence problems there as there are everywhere, one of the slogans on the marches was um, the police don't take care of me, my friends take care of me. So, yeah, I, I felt like right, my friends take care of me. This is this is something I I experience still. Like still, yeah. those friends are still there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's what I'm looking at. Uh, so. Yeah, it's that experience of being understood, I think, that I'm interested yeah. in. Yeah. And you know what? It sounds like, you know, a very kind of important piece of work. And where will this performance be taking place in Aberdeen? Well, there's going to be, it's going to be uh, on the, you know, where the Bon Accord uh, shopping centre is? <laughs> yeah. So there's two versions of the show. There's, there's one version that's going to be happening on Saturday, the 16th of October, which will be in those, in those public spaces. So there's a pedestrianized street. I don't know the name of it, but it's, it's Bon Accord Center is on either side of it. And it's got this weird non-functioning crossing. So I think we're going to be in that area and we're going to move around, um, around about there, uh, sort of Marshall College, in front of Marshall College a bit. But yeah, the idea being that we're going to have a kind of private game show. Well, not even it's the show's not the right word, but a private set of game, a kind of complicity between the performers that they just do, and they just so happen to be in your shopping mall or in the street. But they're not. They're not there for the audience. The audience will hopefully discover them and be intrigued and notice it. But it's not kind of like da da, you know, applaud our virtuosity. It's just a kind of private, complicit game thing that we hope, you know, will be interesting to watch. Yeah, no, I look forward to sitting there and seeing how that kind of transpires. And, you know, another question I want to ask you is, like, what advice would you give to those who wanted to pursue a career in dance and choreography? I think you've got to back yourself. I think it's quite an insecure world and quite an insecure profession. It literally moves. It isn't static. You can't make a product with it. It is ephemeral. It does disappear. Even if you've had successes, they're gone. You know, it's, you're always at the sort of point of zero with it. 
So I think it's about bolstering yourself and building yourself up and finding out what your daily discipline is. That's one of the things I use. Um, and yeah, finding, finding your community of practitioners. Um, because, you know, there's so many dance styles and there's so many ways to be with it. And most of us who've trained, you travel through other people's styles, you know, to, that's been, that's become what the canon is or what you're told it is or what you're, what you're seeing on screen. Um, so you, you go through all those kind of shapes that people put on you. Um, but yeah, it's going to come back to how you feel. And so that needs the work that needs taken care of. And of course that's easier to do in community because you don't always feel robust. Um, and you kind of need, you, you need places where you can be vulnerable. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's about finding community. It's about believing in yourself it's about spending time on your own to be able to one brilliant choreographer said to me you need to recognize choreography trying to do this long term you're actually doing loneliness training <laughs> and I, th I thought it was amazing it, you know it's a harsh truth because I always wanted to just be you know like in dance routines with people you know and it's amazing when you are doing that and you're in theaters and there's thousands of people but there's also like Tuesday morning, you know, you're going to have to pull it out of the bag again for yourself, not for anybody. There's no external motivation. Um, yeah. So I think it's like, yeah. And then for me now at this point in my life, I'm thinking, wow, now I'm dealing with longevity as well, because I think um, I'm, I'm in the same place as, as the people who are auditioning for dance school. Like we're all showing up to try it now, you know? So it does, it's kind of age doesn't even cover it that if you stay in it then you still have to kind of show up back yourself uh believe in your ideas commit to telling people about them you know yeah it's all the game of confidence and um belief yeah no i think that's no absolutely 100 percent. definitely very important you know and you know beyond the dance life festival what are your plans for the rest of the year and also 2022? Yeah, well, this, this, so we're doing our first, we're doing the uh, outdoors piece here, but I'm also working with these, this Argentinian company on the sort of digital show. And I think that th this is its first pilot and it's become quite clear to us that, that that's going to be growing. So I think that, I think this work is, to be honest, the Aberdeen is the kind of, has been the lovely, uh, amazing cradle for this and it's begun it um so i think what we when we we're almost doing like preview shows in the festival and so we'll be looking to see what the audience think and what they respond to and what's what's important what isn't so i think this piece is going to be growing i mean i've got some other work lined up in sort of other people's productions operas and things like that you know when the real world comes back which it seems to be coming back but yeah for me it's about writing growing developing and then trying to get this stuff onto different stages and places um the hunt continues <laughs> it will keep no, no it sounds interesting it sounds like you got a lot going on <laughs> at the moment yes and you know um just for the listeners flow um where can they follow your work well yeah there's a website flurdarkin.com um and yeah, I, I think this project's launching Instagram and Twitter. I'm Fleur DCI on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I've been really having a quiet period. So um, 
it's all that's all that stuff will crank back up so yeah uh my website i guess okay brilliant and now i'll put all the links to your website and your, like your twitter in the episode description but um flo i want to thank you for coming on the create me podcast in partnership with city moves dance life festival i really do appreciate it oh it's been my pleasure really nice to meet you i can't i'm going to start listening to your archive as well Oh, brilliant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of episodes to get through. Yeah, but I mean, I guess that's the other thing. When you're saying, what do you, advice do you give to young people? It's like just, I, I spend a lot of my time when I'm having a quiet period of just reading how what other artists are up to and what their systems are. I'm sure everybody does, you know. So yeah. so the thing you're, thing you're producing is great because that's kind of, it, it can be, you can do it on your own too much. It's great when you hear how other people do it. Yeah, absolutely. But no, thanks again for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thanks very much. All right. Cheers for that. Hello again. So yeah, that was my conversation with Fleur. I want to take the time to personally thank Fleur for coming on the podcast and sharing her story with us all. Definitely much appreciated. And be sure to check out all the links in the episode description as well, where you can follow Fleur's work and check out her website as well. And also, yeah, be sure to check out Fleur's performance in Aberdeen. My friends take care of me as a part of the Dance Life Festival. And also I want to say a big thanks, a big shout out to the City Moves team for making this conversation possible also. So yeah, guys, I will be back with another episode very soon. So yeah, take care for now and I'll see you all soon. Bye for now.